0: It is episode 299 of mm. This Is Whole Life. You know, I almost just said 15 with Andy, Randy, and Jeff. And, I. you know, that's been a while. That's yeah. Been, that's that's been, it's, it's been a while. So I don't know where that came from. I've got lots of papers. See, here's the problem. My laptop is broken. My new one is on order. But it's sometime be- – you know, I ordered it in December and it's still like, yeah, sometime between March 1st and April 1st. So I've been reading from paper – and I'm a color coded person when I do show notes, and so when I'm just you know and that anyway, so that's probably where that came from. but this past week, we were back into a rise to old testament societal justice, and last week, I'll be honest, I thought, isn't that kind of like what we already talked about this week? was it um I mean. In the same vein, hmm. but it was totally different. And the teaser you gave us at the end of last week's podcast episode gave me hope that it wouldn't be. And it wasn't. But after this week, I feel like we started, we kind of, you know, the, the messages with Bernie. And then as we've started, <laughs> we continue to arise, And then and I feel like every week the bar gets raised a little bit. And not by huge huge amounts, but it's like it's like this growing thing. And I'm like, if we keep going in this for a lot longer, we're going to get tired of climbing, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> you're you need a little mental break, Randy, I, is that what you're needing? No, no. It's been – it's actually – We can help you out. It's been good. I've, I, I'll say this. I have, su- I have really appreciated the fact that every week there's been a ton of stuff to really stu- – like you can't just go – well, that was a great message today, wasn't it? It sure was, man. I Let's go I, home and eat. I, I, right, I'm ready for lunch. And now <laughs> we like we get in the car after church, and you're just thinking to yourself, "What do I do with this?" Uh, there's there's stuff to unpack here. It's not stuff that you can just let roll off the end of your tongue and into your ears, and then go, "Well, wow, that was nice." So it's been it's been a lot to digest, in a good way. In a good way, I think it's all been. Really challenging, but in a good way. Good. And this week, our text, I want to start off with our text. It was from Deuteronomy 10, 17 through 19. This is New Living Translation. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and Lord of lords. He is the great God, the mighty and awesome God, who shows no partiality and cannot be bribed. He ensures that orphans and widows receive justice. He shows love to the foreigners living among you and gives them food and clothing. So you too must show love to foreigners, for you yourselves were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. You must fear the Lord your God and worship Him and cling to Him. Your oaths must be in His name alone. Why does this not sound like the Old Testament God of anger that so often is the go-to or this is what, oh, yeah, the Old Testament, that's that's the God of fire, that's the God of anger, that's the God of... Seemingly, sometimes, like we talked briefly last week about a few cases where actually didn't seem <laughs> didn't seem like justice seemed a little harsh to be turned into a pillar of salt and things like that. But this totally throws that completely on its head. Does it? I think it does. I don't know. Does it, does it not? Am I looking I think, at it?
1: I don't know. I guess what I'm I guess what I'm trying to say is. Uh, I, I grew up in a different era than the current one. So yeah. I grew up in, a, in an era when you got spanked for things. I don't know <laughs> yeah. how it was for the two of you, but <laughs> I grew up in an era where the uh, spare the rod, spoil the child, child, was taken quite seriously and and literally. <laughs> um, there was nothing figurative about the, ro- the rod. No. Um, and <laughs> so all I'm trying to say is that I have um, a wonderful father um, who I know deeply loves me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know who also um, disciplined me in a way that probably would make some people a little bit uncomfortable maybe today. And I'm, again, not here to have a debate on the right way to (laughs) to punish your children at all. But what I am here to say is that for me, there is no difference between the father that gave me um, some pretty vividly memorable spankings (laughs) and the father that, that loved me. Yeah. Uh, And has always been there for me and who's cared about me. And so I think that sometimes a little bit of a mistake to think that somehow you being loving means that you are weak or that you're not, you don't defend right and wrong and that you don't stand up for what's right. So at the same time, I think that there are those who really get a lot of joy out of a God that's kind of capricious mm-hmm. in his uh, in what he does, and it's, and kind of takes gleeful joy in creating suffering and pain in those mm-hmm. who have annoyed him. <laughs> and uh, that was, you know, that's one of the things I appreciate about my dad. That I think is very different than a lot of other people's experience with parents that gave them corporal punishment. And that's that my dad never ever spanked me when he was angry. If he was angry, he wouldn't spank me. He would not do it. He would wait hmm. until he'd calmed down. Because my dad truly believed what you know, again, right or wrong, my dad <laughs> yeah, truly yeah. believed that spanking was there to for a purpose and a point. And it was to help me to remember the kind of action. It was not to get even with me. It was not a way for him to blow the steam off of being angry. And so that's why I say, is it I when we look at the old testament where we kind of sometimes want to clear away the God that that does things that make us uncomfortable and just kind of ignore that in favor of the God that we like that's kind of the verse that we just read. But again, I I think it's possible to be loving and to do some difficult things. And when I look at the Old Testament, I see a God dealing with three- and four-year-olds, and three- and four-year-olds need more concrete information, if you will. And the other thing that I see about that is that so that's why I don't think God changes. He's the same loving God. He doesn't—I mean, Jonah says it. I know that you don't want to destroy anybody.
0: Right, 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 yeah.
1: But but God does do some things that are difficult out of love. And so as we look at the difficult things, for me, that's always the the place that I, I look at. I, there's a couple of questions I ask when I see difficult things. Number one, is that God acting or is that human beings acting Saying that they're they're doing it in God's name versus God really asking. And there's several places that there's some terrible things happen that we attribute to God, but it, when you read it carefully, it doesn't say God ever told them to do that. They just kind of went out and said, "Well, that's that's what you want me to do, and God." Yeah. And then the other thing is that when I do see some things where I see God saying this needs to be done, I ask myself, "How could a loving God do that?" And sometimes I've got to be honest with you. There's some places where I don't know. I don't yeah. know the answer to well, that. That's... But there's other places where I see it, and I go, "Oh, I can see why." You would do that,
0: um, oh, okay? Hold on, two. So, two, two questions. So, is it more? Or do you think a perception of, and maybe Jeff, this is for you. Is it more of a perception of maybe how we were raised, and maybe how discipline worked in our time? Maybe, maybe people today that are raised. I mean, we were just talking about this with my parents the other night. I got spanked. Quite a bit early on, and then it just didn't do any good, so I didn't, you
1: know. You and my brother are the same. It frustrated me to death because my dad would spank me. He wouldn't spank my brother. Said, it does no good with your brother. I'm like, what do I have to do to prove that does no good?
0: <laughs> and my brother would get it because, you know, I did something he was supposed to know better and we weren't supposed to do it. Yeah. And he was supposed to keep me on the straight and narrow, which, you know, proved impossible. So maybe is it a bit of a perception of maybe how we were – raised or how we were disciplined that we might have a different view than what you're saying? Because I like what you're saying that your dad took this cooling off period and it was really to teach a lesson. It was pretty pure in that way, whether you agree with spanking or you don't. And then second, if these these things that we can't explain and we see them, do you think there's more or less of those than we think there are? Because it all gets clumped in. Always what I hear is the Old Testament God, ooh, you just didn't want to mess with him. Now, the New Testament God, yeah, yeah he was – yeah, that guy I like. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's a little perception. Maybe it's – or are we just missing it and we're clumping everything together when in reality there's a lot of stories. Like you said, nobody told them to do this. Why was Why do we blame God for this? Following along with Ken's analogy of
2: working with three- and four-year-olds – um, you know, when you're when you're a kid and you go through a, a trying time, say, for instance, with a parent, you ask that child at that time how they relate to their parents at that time, they're not going to give you a real beautiful kind of warm, heartfelt answer. They're just going to – they're going to be in the mood. And sometimes I think we look at this from the standpoint – like Ken mentioned, we look at it from the standpoint of these are – and I hate to use this word, but these are implied understandings sometimes by people who see God their way and understand Him in their context. We had a theologian from uh, she was from Andrews came a couple of years ago, and and she talked about this implied versus preferred voice of God. And it was it was it was a beautiful understanding of the Old Testament. I think Ken's right. I I, I believe the same way. The Old Testament gets a bad rap on these things when we all of a sudden take one picture and say, that's the God of the Old Testament. Well, actually, there's
0: a whole lot of other great pictures that might completely differ from that. I don't disagree necessarily. I'm, but I know there was a time in my life that if you'd asked me the same question, I would have given you. That, I would have given you that same answer. That God of the Old Testament very different than the God of the New Testament. Absolutely. So, and and maybe it's just a where we are in our journey. But you I guess know, I, I, I
1: want to really touch back on what Jeff said because I think that's really brilliant. You ask a three-year-old to describe their parent, you're going to get a different description than an eighteen-year-old. Oh, yeah. And so especially you're going to get a different answer from a three-year-old that's just been disciplined, mm-hmm. and they're going to view the rest of the world through that lens. And so I guess that's my that's where I just—I feel like it's worth kind of considering that the Bible, we have this—sometimes we have this impression that God just wrote it out and then handed it to somebody, but that's not at all what happened. People wrote down their impressions of what God was doing and saying— and they were inspired by God. There's no doubt about that. The Bible, you know, I totally affirm, I believe, what Peter said that all scripture is God breathed and, and worthwhile for instruction. It's all God breathed. But I think there's it's important that God, that Peter didn't say all scripture has been handed directly from the from the hand and voice of God directly sure, to yeah. people. And so this is an important thing that people are putting their own fears, their own phobias, their own spin. On things into what they're writing, and so as we experience God, uh, I think you look at a when you look at New Testament writers, you're looking at more grown-up writing. Okay. You're looking at people who have a deeper understanding of who God is. There's more. There's literally more millennia of time that's gone by that they've had an opportunity to experience God, and so their understanding deepens. And you would hope that the same would be true today. That our experience is deeper as we see God's works and understand. Think about it. I mean, if you were an Israelite, there was there was no Bible. Yeah, All you yeah. had was the stories and traditions that you heard around the campfire. Today we have a Bible that we have the scope of history that we can look at. And so, yeah, God was a little bit more concrete, a little bit more in your face. He had to be to, to, sure. to get their attention, to help them understand.
0: So would it be fair then—I don't want to call anybody a three- to five-year-old— as they're disagreeing <laughs> and saying that, well, I don't want you to think that well, that's what we're saying, that you're a three or five-year-old, if that's how you see the Old Testament oh, no. God. But at the same time, is it fair then to say, just like you mentioned with the writers and and where they were at, and they, there was a little bit of their own journey, their own spin in there, if that's your journey, and maybe the three-year-old you and the 18-year-old you that got punished by people, Maybe there wasn't a lot of difference in the results or in how you were treated. And so your answer may be closer to the same than it would be different for someone that's in that place. And they're, they're maybe projecting a little bit of what they've gone through into those instances to see it more negatively. What can we say or what can how can we help them move into a different picture without maybe spending a long – the thing I always worry about is we spend long – journeys around a lot of times away from God because this is my view and it may be it may not be the correct one. I mean I I saw that for a long time and that's not my view of God now, but it was then. How do we help people take shorter shorter distances around so that it's not like wow, I wish I would have known that, you know, 5 years ago or I wish I would have realized what I was doing in my part or what I didn't realize. I'm not sure what the answer is. Well, I think
2: the short answer is seeing Jesus, which is a really, you know, that's that's the best thing about the Old Testament is and that's the again, I think the Old Testament is extremely important to have. We we don't understand the New Testament without the Old Testament. And the Old Testament actually shows this same God now personified in Jesus. And so we get a chance, so that's that's the short answer is that the the quick way to understanding the old testament and the god of the old testament is look at the gospels and see the life mm-hmm. of Jesus i think that i think that mm. just gives so much um insight into that the the other side of that is that people in the old testament were using narratives and stories and and you know we read in the in the new testament we read You see more what we would call today is exegetical theology, you know, where we take things and we make concepts from them and Paul was a good theologian and so forth. But there's theology in the Old Testament too. Right, yeah. And so I think it's taking these stories, these narratives that get played out and then looking at God through that lens and maybe this is a long play – but realizing what it does to you in your own life in terms of looking at the, the three-year-old versus the 18 – actually, to be honest with you, I would say 21 to 22-year-olds because <laughs> I didn't really understand the, the, the commitment my dad had mm, to me yeah. and to our family until yeah. much later on realizing those, those things I complained about were actually his his commitment to keeping our family together and you know work he worked long hours and i blamed him for that for you know, and I, it took me a while to understand that. So I think understanding in the context of our own experience.
0: But too, maybe yeah. that's why things even take longer today because, I mean, you and I and I don't know, maybe Ken too, I don't know when, like, when did you join the workforce? We all joined the workforce. Yeah. I mean, I got my first job outside the house when I was 12. I, mean, I, I rode my yeah. 10 speed to a produce farm. If you start families, you know, people are starting families younger now and maybe you don't see some of those, like you just said, in your family dynamics once you start becoming the breadwinner and you start paying for everything and you start <laughs> realizing what it takes to put together, you know, hold everybody together, you, you get a different view. Maybe that's part when of When you
1: it. realize the world doesn't revolve around you. Yeah. I think the other thing I just encourage people, because I want to go back to what you said about, well, how do you, how do you help somebody who maybe is, yeah. has a, a younger view I think it's important. My wife is an early childhood educator, so I I get a lot of. I feel like I worked when she got her master's degree. (laughs) uh, I feel like I deserved a not not the degree itself, but you know maybe the the degree light or something. Because got to hear a lot about. But one of the key phrases in early childhood development—one of the key phrases is developmentally appropriate practice. Hmm. Okay. Um, and one of the things that I think is important in our Christian life, a three-year-old is not better than an 18-year-old. An 18-year-old is not better than a three-year-old. The point is not—a three-year-old acting like an 18-year-old would be concerning. <laughs> yeah. it, it would be. It would be very concerning. They need to be where they're at. For their own development, and and so a big thing in early childhood education is not to force a child to do something before they're developmentally ready, ready for to do that. It, yeah. And so one of the things I just say is that if you're struggling with some of these things, wherever you're at in your walk with Jesus, if you're just beginning it, you're not worse than anybody. You're where you're supposed to be. You are, you know, if you've only known if you if you're just finding out about Jesus, if you've only known Jesus for a year. You might see some people that are doing things, and you're like, "Oh, I wish I was doing that." But it's not about what other people are doing; it's about you. It's about where you're at, and you're not wrong to mm. be where you're at. And so, I, my advice is: if you don't, if there's things you don't understand, lean into it. Don't let it discourage you. Don't give up. But lean into the, lean into the hurt, mm. lean yeah. into the confusion, and believe that there must be an answer. And that there is healing out there when you don't understand things in the Bible. And give God time to allow you to grow at his pace, at the pace pace. that's best for you. And don't worry about it. And then for those who are at a different place developmentally, don't look back at somebody who isn't at the same place you are. And we sometimes make this mistake of looking at people based on their chronological age and saying, well, you should be at this place Mm. spiritually developmentally. Well, no, no, you're not we don't know your story Yeah, we don't yeah, know what sure. you went through and yeah. so so again i don't when we say three or four year olds that's not an insult that's not somebody the israelites back then of course that's where they were at it wasn't They they did not have what we have so yeah. how could they they had not heard the story of christ dying and living they had none of that so how possibly could they have been any other way and so that's the point I want to make. I just I think we we just have to be really for those. I think we have to be careful about putting labels on on others, and I think we have to be careful about putting labels on ourselves. Mm-hmm. We are where we are, and let Jesus grow us up. And let mm-hmm. Jesus grow us at His pace and His way and His time. And I'm confident that God will do that. That's good. What's mm-hmm. nice about that that piece is the fact that. Love, acceptance, and forgiveness yeah. can be hap- can happen at all those in all stages, those. Yeah. The values stay the same. Yeah. No, Your understanding yeah. of them
0: grows. Yep. I like I, – I really – like Jeff, I agree. I, I like that because what immediately triggered in my head when you said, you know, you need to be where you are and you need to be where you are. And honestly, the reason I think I never had or I had such a negative experience was, Jeff, what you said – until you know Jesus, until you understand. Mm-hmm. And I had never seen a picture of Jesus that enticed me.
2: Mm.
0: Uh, honestly, we did Sabbath school. We did, grade, uh, you know, first grade through, through academy, through graduation, and never did I see anyone that was just like, man— I, I am so happy because of Jesus in my life or – and I'm not saying there weren't people there and, and part of that was attitude and there's a lot that goes into it. But it wasn't until I met Heather that I really saw in her – I was like, wait, here's a single person who's in their in their 20s who comes to church by themselves – with a Bible. They sit and they're listening, they're reading. And I'm like, why? Why? I mean, literally, I would just sit there and ask myself, why would anybody do this? I don't understand. Like I come to church once a month to run the AV system because they, they asked me to do it and twist my arm every year. And that was the extent of it. And it was, so there, it was nothing about Jesus or anything else and maybe see a few friends. But that was the first picture of Jesus that I got that made me go, This might be something I need. And then very soon after that, it was, yeah, this is this is life changing. So that's maybe the best advice we could give today on someone just struggling with that other picture. But maybe the next best thing I really liked how you brought in the code of Hammurabi, Mm -hmm. I know last year uh, Ellie was learning that in, in homeschool and we went through it as kids. But never to put those two together. It's like, well, this is a piece of history and this is a piece of history. But to actually put the two together and then you realize that if you're saying that God is unjust, well, look at how much more the world is just not even unjust but just crazy in comparison between the two. And I thought that maybe out of anything I've heard of Every time you think about, well, God, God is, you know, his laws are pretty punitive and they're pretty restrictive and they're not really great. These laws are amazing in comparison. And, and, and even in Deuteronomy, that's a great list of things we could all strive. I mean, just even if you were not a Christian, just things you could strive for to be a great person in today's society, let me I mean, ask even you, if you just looked at that.
1: Let me ask you a question. Do you think God ever created any laws he didn't believe in?
0: No, no, I don't th- why would he
1: It's a good question, I think he did yeah oh, I did think he?
2: because uh, okay, because of the context of culture and the place that he has to live in or he
1: has to uh, oh I, actually okay. ha- oh, she, I
0: can oh, yeah.
1: actually give you an exact example okay Jesus says it the 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 uh the, I think it was the Sadducees were giving Jesus a hard time about this uh this woman who had seven husbands. Because according to the Levitical law, if a woman married a man and that man died without having children, then she was to marry the next oldest brother, and then he was to to uh, sleep <laughs> with her, have children with her, and then that her his older brother's name would go on. Well, in this particular scenario that Sadducees throw out, uh, you know, d- d- uh, maybe I'm getting my stories a little bit mixed up here, but anyway, basically this, the, you know, the woman has no children. But anyway, the point is. So, yeah, I am getting it. Basically, they ask him, does, does the law permit divorce, basically? Right. And Jesus basically says, yeah, it does, but it wasn't what God wanted. It's because of your hard hearts mm. that God made that law. And basically what what was happening from my vantage point is God said— if I don't do this law, these women are going to be completely unprotected. I've got to do something that I don't like to do mm. for a you know, for a good. And so I think that sometimes one of those I think again, slavery is another one of those yeah. things that you're going to come across in the Old Testament that I don't think God liked it. I don't think God wanted it. I don't think God had but he had to work within the continent with the hard hearts that he had to work with <laughs> to to do as good as he could for people and hopefully progress people away from from those sort of things so yeah and i think that's one of the the big mistakes when we try to go all literalist and say i believe everything in the bible is exactly the way that god wanted it well i don't it, then then we we should be you know we should be doing a lot of things that we're not doing right now
0: the thing that i thought about when you just said that was when obviously these rules if you stop and think about it and i was immediately thinking Ten Commandments. So I was thinking way too narrow. And I don't think any of those maybe were. But if you think about the time and the place, these rules were made after sin. Mm-hmm. It, well, like We don't have a Ten Commandments or a – Best of practices from God from the Garden of Eden when everything was perfect necessarily as a uh, how to live in society and maybe it wasn't needed or obvious well who knows doesn't necessarily say what's an interesting
1: thing that there doesn't we don't get a written law officially until Moses is handed to Moses and yet there were rules and and the Bible says that people were held accountable for those for those laws that God had that they were obvious in nature. And, and when it comes down to it, when, when Jesus says there really are two laws, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself, it really comes down to those two things. And when you start looking at the law that God hands out in Leviticus, Deuteronomy, I think you're looking at a law that God's saying, I don't think God thought it was perfect. I think it was as perfect as it could be for the imperfect human <laughs> beings that it was there to try to
0: be there for. Well and that makes perfect sense i like i I really like how we're well, and you could say the through.
2: same thing about the idea of of having a king god yeah. God didn't want really to have yeah one, have yeah, that's true, he allowed it, and you could say that God put that king in place, so to speak
0: so much of the the message this week, I just really thought put just things in your in your, in front of you to make you think that if you were one of these people, and again, it just resonated with me because that was me for a long time that would have just said totally the two different gods and all that. It just kept putting things in front of you to think of and go, oh, well, if you think about it that way, and it really does give you a different picture of maybe what you believe about God and and the Old Testament God for sure. The thing that really kind of struck me was in that verse it's talking about the treatment of the poor, the foreigners, the refugees, the widows, the orphans, and the slaves. And the Bible says that the poor will always be among you. So I'm assuming that you know we can kind of clump all of these. We're in the poor.
1: Jesus says that, but there's an interesting text I did not include this week that in – I think it's Leviticus where it says there should be no poor among you. If really? you follow these laws, there should be no poor among you. So if we do what you're – And then two is, chapters later it says you will always, always have <laughs> poor among you. <laughs> Which, again, I think is going to God uh, saying, if you did exactly what I said, there will be no poor, but I know you're not going to be. So there's always going to be poor, so make sure you treat them well.
0: (laughs) So so that was really my question. I mean, he's really given us the resources and the guide to say there should really be none of this here. But we just – just like back then, I mean, we just haven't done our part. We just haven't followed through. We just don't have it – somehow in us to <laughs> do well, you all would of this.
2: Well, uh, you would think heaven would be at uh, the perfect place, and yet still here we have the story, This story of somebody who became mm. selfish or mm. somebody who became self-centered. I, I do think that there is, there is beauty in what God gives us and suggests, but he's not certainly naive to understand who we are. And to think know, that we're going to— And that's why forgiveness. And I, I
1: think guess. it's not—and and by the way, Randy, I don't think it's just— I don't th- I think that there will be poor not just because there are ungenerous people. I think that there'll always be poor because there will always be people whether they are there are there are times where you try to help a person and they just won't take well, the help. You, no, they yeah, just won't. True. And again, that goes back to God's law. When you look at the law, what <laughs> it was a two-way street. When they said there there should be no poor among you, there should be if you if everyone does what the law says, there should be no poor. And that's both on the side of the rich and right. those with less resources. If you're if you have less resources, if you do what the law says, you shouldn't be poor. And if you're rich, you shouldn't be just tolerating going, well, you know, they're poor, they deserve what they get. So sure, it's a yeah. two we have a responsibility on both sides on both of that.
0: Sides. Yeah. No, that's true. And that's that's often unpopular, though. Yeah. As an idea that there are Certain people that we've met, our old church service, we kind of adopted this uh, homeless guy, and we were like, "Hey, we are gonna just just support him." I, yep. We don't know what that looks like. And at the end of the day, he's like, "Man, you guys are awesome." He's—I haven't seen him in a long time. I think he moved back over to the coast. Uh, last time I saw him, and he was just like, "You know what? I'm just I'm just happy where I'm at." There's things about society I don't like, and I don't want to be a part of, and I'm okay and that was hard for us to understand. Like, what do you mean you're okay? You sleep in a tent and you've been robbed, you've been beaten, you've been harassed by police. And he's like, but I just want to be where I'm at. So I think that doesn't register with us very well sometimes, but I also really enjoyed, I'm glad you teased because Heather was getting up and Emily was getting a little restless and she was going to get up and like, there's a
1: lot of Bible verses,
0: and I'm like, don't. I don't know if I've crammed that many
1: Bible <laughs> verses into a sermon. I like, no, ever. it was it was good. <laughs> though. I was like, I was so worried about that. I was like, there's so. I mean, <laughs> I want to show all the cool things that God is doing, but my goodness, that is a lot of Bible verses to read through. But so I, I was afraid it was going to be a little dry.
0: I think it went through well, and I also think you know that's the other two way street. You can present, and just because we can't get it all in in 25 minutes or whatever we have. That's on us to go back and double check and make sure Ken's work is right. Absolutely. <laughs> so I, you know, and she was Heather kind of stood up and I'm like, no, no, don't miss this part. This is really cool. <laughs> Ken teased it on the podcast, and I know she doesn't listen, so I, I knew she, I knew she would have would have missed it. But when you said how the the Israelites were put in this place in the promised land because it was the center of everything, yeah. the center of all commerce and trade and the known world and everything would have to go through there. So it wasn't just like, hey, this is my number one ch- child and I'm going to give them everything and I'm just going to shoo everybody else away. But rather, and he also said, you know, don't integrate, don't do that. But yet he gave this opportunity, maybe the best evangel- evangelistic <laughs> location in the world to really just show people this is why you would choose me as a god. Do you think they realized what he was doing? I don't. I've never heard it explained. First off, like you said, like this is like geographically, and you know this was a, a huge opportunity. Did they know that?
1: I don't think so. I don't think they completely understood it. Completely. I think that they. Um, like most of us, when God hands us a blessing, we don't ask a whole lot of questions.
0: <laughs> we we like them. It's like, oh yeah, <laughs> the land lamb. of milk and
1: honey. That's great. Just, just uh, we're not really worried about where that. You know, as long as the milk and honey is flowing to us, we're not really as worried about where else it's flowing. And I, and I don't know that their geography would have allowed them to really understand everything completely. Their knowledge of it maybe it would have i mean i know that they had to have known that there are all these caravans coming through that area and through that region but it really was it was a major trade route in the in basically the known world and when you think about think about how christianity spread you know as as christianity spread it spread out of that that area and it just it just went crazy and it Reached not only the the old world but the new world, uh, uh, you know the the Americas, and you got to wonder what would have happened if Israel would have been more open to sharing and seeing them their 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 responsibility is being outward focused as opposed to inward holiness, and that's I think what I think can I, can, for my friends out there for those of you who are so obsessed with becoming perfect, and I'm glad. That's the Holy Spirit's job though. And what if we were more obsessed with sharing the good news mm. with the world around us? I yeah. think we'd find that the holiness in our own life would increase. Would increase, yep. More than when we navel-gaze all the time and and stare and make accusations at the other our other brethren out there that oh, you're a bad Christian, you're a bad Christian, you know, <laughs> you're well, What if we were a little bit more focused on being the person that God's calling us to be, and then sharing the good news about what God's doing with the world around us. And I, I just got to think that if if that had happened, if that had happened, that uh, who knows how how that good news would have reached the entire world yeah. um, and how quickly it might have done that. We see even in Solomon's time that this, this queen of Sheba comes to find out about what's making yeah, what Israel is so great. Yeah. And one of the cool things is even... Uh, that there's this kind of false narrative out there that Christianity is a white man's religion, and it's a false narrative because there are black Jews from that mm-hmm. from from that inter- interaction that the Queen of Sheba had with King Solomon. There are there are black Jews, and there are also black Christians from a very very early from the very very beginning of Christianity that 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 Africa. That there there is parts of it that there were very much had Christian ideals because of because of the witness that happened in King David and King Solomon's time yeah. and then the continued interest. You know, you see Philip converting the Ethiopian eunuch um, who comes to Jerusalem because he's Jewish <laughs> and he comes yeah. to Jerusalem and and Philip actually converts him. He goes back and and there is a a long lasting uh, you know, and it's worth talking about during Black History Month that Christianity is not a white person's religion. It's it's a human. It is it, you know those who are in the human family that color has nothing to do with Christianity. Christianity is truly a religion for all.
0: Yeah, that's that's actually when you stop and think about, it, you hear about those pieces, and you kind of forget about it. And you do hear every so often that there's that there's this dynamic in Christianity tilting towards white. And it's good to hear those stories, like you said. It, it brings it just brings about more inclusion and, and brings up about a realization that Jesus was for everyone. And as I thought about the Israelites, and I'm like, you know, after 40 years, none of the people that left Egypt. Got to go into the land of milk and honey and all the rest of them. I think all they heard were the the stories and maybe just thought, you know, this, maybe this is just a bunch of wives, you know, old wives tales. I mean, what, what do we know for sure? And, you know, all of the bickering and all, just 40 years wandering in the wilderness and you finally get there. You know, I don't think my attitude would have been one of like, "Hey, let's invite the neighbors over. Let's make sure they get some." Oh, were they walking around in the you know in the desert for forty years? No, we were. Yeah. So I, I don't think my attitude would have been maybe any better.
1: By the way, one other really cool—just since it's Black History Month, can we throw this out? Absolutely. A lot of Christians have heard of Saint Augustine, right? He's probably considered mm-hmm. one of the great uh, early Christian theologians, and there are many credible. People who theorize that he was actually black.
0: Oh, okay, really?
1: And that's I uh, didn't know that. Yeah, most most people don't. But there's there's be based on where he's uh, from, uh, there, he was from North Africa, and so there's a um, a relevant uh, discussion that, cool. that says that. And I think that's kind of a cool thing because I think we all want to understand that that where we've come from has contributed to the to the narrative. Yeah. And I think. That's one of the cool things that I, in my research that I came across, I thought, well, oh, that's really kind of neat because St. Augustine just had some really beautiful thoughts on on Jesus and and spirituality.
0: Well, and I'll just throw this in. I thought that Gail Murphy, anytime you can listen to Gail Murphy, yeah. and it's even more fun when you can participate with Gail Murphy and sing. And when she did, uh, I think it was the second song this past week, and she said, well, we're gonna get you to. Uh, it's called clapping your hands. We're gonna you know, put them together. We're gonna to go old time gospel on you, and you you hear the the differences, and maybe you know we would have never heard your gospel in Wisconsin growing up at church, and yet, what a unique experience to hear someone else where that's their norm, and that they're just sharing it with you. And that was a that was a really cool uh, worship is, pro- that we had. Worship
2: was so good. It, it so. was
0: very very yeah. good. Yeah.
2: I think that's part of, you know, part of where we could land with this is is the fact that our story is not about us, yeah. Our story is not about what we have. Our story is about how we understand Jesus, and we get a chance to share that with others. You know, that's the story of Hezekiah. You know how Hezekiah yeah. forgot who had mm. who had
0: truly <laughs> made him <laughs> when yeah. he came to visit. You know, the, the chat this week, Stanley did a great job. He asked some questions and there was a lot of interacting going on with the those that were watching online. And there was a lot of comments just thanking Ken just for the message and for where we've been over the last couple of weeks and, and staff for having the insight to put this all together. And Ken, you made a comment. You said, we were created in the image of God. We most resemble God when we protect and care for the most vulnerable in our society that was good. And I don't know who hears that I, I, and who
2: –
0: you watch the news, you listen to you know, radio, podcasts, media, each other, conversations that we have. And I feel like conversations that I hear around Whole Life Church are people that are excited when they hear about somebody else doing something really cool. And so I'm just wondering if there's anything or what we can tell someone I know Trofina asked a question, and we answered it during Q and A about where do we start? We've heard from Black History Month, we've heard from how we're dealing with the rules and society and our you know aspirations, and sometimes it seems like we just kind of get stuck in neutral, we're, we're looking for that good idea, we want to be creative because like you said, we see you know we see creative people doing things, and we wonder. What do I do? Where where does where does God want me? Or does the church have something for me that they're just waiting for someone to say? Boy, I wish we had someone that would take X, Y, and Z up, and wouldn't that be great? (laughs) What would you tell someone that's just on fire right now? Because I think if you have been sitting or watching online the last couple of weeks, you're thinking to yourself, I need to be doing more of this if I'm not already, and if even if I am, I want to do more. I want to do something. What do we tell people?
2: First of all, I would say that they've already started, oh okay, because that's really important that they don't they don't look at this as not starting because starting in this context is literally getting a heart and a passion mm. and and in a s you know searching for I like that. for that very piece so don't you know don't think that you haven't started don't think you're at ground zero because you were at ground zero before you came to mm. that question then it's uh, it is looking at those, first of all, that are around you, that are, you know, I mean, we've always said this in our church. Let's not try to reinvent something that's already happening. Yeah, know? yeah for sure. Enjoy, you know, enjoy the community that's around you that's actually already starting to do some of the things that you're passionate about. And, um, and then it probably my guess is the Holy Spirit will guide you into – some pieces that maybe resonate more with your wheelhouse.
1: Now, Blockaby says that you should always look to see where God's working and then join Him. Yeah, exactly. like that. So, to me, that's one. And then the other one is if God lays something on your heart, if there's something that you just are passionate about, you can feel it in your bones. Yeah. You know, see if there's some other people who can join in. I tend to think that God doesn't usually send us out solo. It's not that He never does, but I think yeah. usually He has other people that He lays a burden on their heart that's similar. So find those people and and go for it but yeah those two things where's God already working and is God calling you to something that isn't there
0: And if someone has something on their heart and they're not sure where to go or who to look for, who do we send them to at the church that might be able to give them some direction? I would just tell
1: them to look for the pastor that's kind of within their area of passion. um, And if they're not sure who that pastor might be, they can reach out to uh, Angela, our executive assistant at the church. You can kind of direct them. Ah, You can find me, any one of the pastors. You can say, hey, I've got this passion. Who's the right person to be talking to about it? And we'd be happy to direct them to the right person.
0: Excellent. All right. I really enjoyed this this week's message and I – not that I wasn't expecting to, but I just really <laughs> thought that there were multiple things that – again, don't miss the message. If you did, uh, swipe up in today's show notes. Speaking of Grace has the has the message up already. Go and listen to it because there's a lot there to unpack. Listen to it more than once. I've listened to it, I think, three times now, and each time it was just, oh, yeah, that that fits here, that fits there, and it's a lot – like Ken said, there was a lot of Bible text and there was a lot to digest, but it was well worth the time to, to – especially if you're just someone who's been thinking – you know, I don't, I love God, but maybe, you know, there's things that hold me back and maybe it's my view. And and I I just, I think you'll find a lot of really good pieces that uh, you'll find there to just see this all in a little bit different light than you have before. So we only really had one question that we didn't get to. There was a lot of comments and Ron asked, should we still look at the cross as a transaction? Blood for life versus life for life?
1: That's such a deep question. It is. It's, uh, that's a really smart person asking that question. I'm not sure if I'm as smart as the question. There's a part of me that says yes. There's a part of me that says no.
0: Hmm. Okay.
1: Um, so maybe the right answer would, for me would be I'm not sure. There is. It's hard to say it's not transactional you know, <laughs> yeah. that, that in some some form or fashion. Sure. On the other hand, I believe that true love isn't about transactions and that Christ's purchase of life isn't transactional so yeah i want to give it a little bit more thought but maybe that'll be a good topic for some some future sermons or something along those lines cuz yeah that's what a great question what a deep question um, well it's
2: hard to answer because there's so many different ways that it's put as a transaction, in, in in I mean, you can go to a lot of different scriptures and and look, make it look like it was transactional, but I think as we see Christ, um, boy, it, it I I would I don't like the fact that we make it transactional. You know,
1: Jeff, it kind of reminds me of a story. I can't, I'm trying to remember where you you told it. Maybe it was over the weekend somewhere. You were talking about you had a professor oh, uh, yeah. that you really respected a lot, and you were in his class on. The theories of, theories atonement. of the atonement, yeah, and you remember he taught telling us about yeah he th- he
2: he gave us four theories of the atonement and and at the end I walked up you know because it wasn't very satisfying class I walked up to him <laughs> and I it's, said so which one's right and he goes take your pick and he said all of them have holes in them ow. and a man alive that just rocked my world changed everything. Hmm. And it helped it helped me understand that, you know, God's so much bigger in terms of than yeah. our understanding can can grasp. Yeah. God, man, he is so much bigger than even I hate to say this, but he's even bigger than Christianity. He is a God who saves our world. He's the God of the universe, but he saves our world. And he can save Muslims, he can save Buddhists, he can save
0: anybody. Anybody he wants. Yep. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, we had a few comments just really quick. Morris said, finally, someone says it. Treat people right. (laughs) Finally. And, you know, that's always good to hear. It sounds trivial, someone saying to treat someone right. But I think if you don't say it. It also leaves it out there. Do I believe it? And so I appreciated that comment. And it made me smile a lot because I know that in Ken's heart, that's exactly what he feels, too, is that, you know, finally, let's treat everyone right. Let's just say it. Let's continue to say it. And let's let's say it until we get it right all the time. (laughs) So that means I guess we're never going to stop saying it. And. Um, Heather had just had made a comment about thinking about the most vulnerable among us and think about children and adults and disabilities and all the things that goes into it. And she says, in the body of Christ, things can be how we want them to be. And I pray that this is a place to start where I will start. And I thought, you know, putting a putting that into our prayer, maybe that's the most important thing we can do this week after we've heard and just digested this message is that we just need some prayer for ourselves that this is where we want to start and we want to start taking action on that. All right. So we are already over time. So let's just say that next week is 300. I think Ken mentioned something about going on a cruise and for anyone that was – was that – no, the cruise. Where did I get cruise from? I
1: was thinking that. And then I was also just realizing that uh, <laughs> that this next Sabbath at Seldor uh It's going to be Dana. I thought about that Dana too Edmund, this Edmund, morning. So should we just do the podcast at the church Sabbath afternoon?
0: If he has time, I would say – That's a good idea. Let's go ahead and do that. Yeah. And then we can do the – and but the next one is March 5th, right? Right, I think we might just have to do a bonus episode and be like, "Hey, we did three hundred, we made it." Because I didn't want to. I'm looking forward myself to Dana, uh, Dana's presentation, and I didn't want to. Maybe we could lose any time uh, on that. Maybe we
1: could do the presentation though, or maybe we can do the podcast at the church live with people around and. And maybe we could figure out some sort yeah. of, you know, well, stay treat tuned. Or
0: yeah, stay tuned. Mm-hmm. We'll we'll figure that out. And that was a suggestion someone did have us. Like, well, why can't we just come to the church and do it? And yeah. I said, well, oh, I'm sure we could. <laughs> um, and we can we can set that up. We do it at church retreat, so there's no reason we can't do it there. So stay tuned. And
1: um, yeah, maybe we can do it right after the seminar.
0: Oh, well, that would be fun. Yeah, we could South do it.
1: this afternoon. So, so seminar starts at three. Should be done by four mm, thirty five okay then we maybe can do this seminar i oh, would do a podcast for 30 minutes or so after yeah yeah Let's anybody see who wants to hang out can can watch it being uh being done
0: yeah we might even be able to just uh turn on the stream and uh just yeah. point a camera or two that doesn't take uh, a ton to do that i don't know we'll see are we going to stream that afternoon program we are oh well then that'll already be set up Boom. it'll be even easier Look at Ken thinking on the go. So that'll do it for this week. So I just hope
1: buy a bunch of Snickers bars and bring them and throw them to the people who stay and watch.
0: That's right. Bring your you know bring your favorite treat to share. Maybe that <laughs> maybe you can do that. You know, I personally I'm a fan of almost rice. almost
1: as good as a cruise. Almost. Yeah, almost yeah, it was pretty close. I, uh, I guess I'll I have to say that for four hundred.
0: I'm a personal fan of like Rice crispy, homemade Rice crispy treats. Although that's probably not the best thing to eat while you're on the microphone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> get stuck in your teeth, all that good stuff. No, probably not. Anyway. I hope you enjoyed the message this week as much as I did, and I would encourage you again to go back and watch it at wholelife.church live or catch it on uh, Speaking of Grace, but it was just a message you're not going to want to miss. So stay tuned next week. Special guest Dana Edmond will do something in the afternoon. And hey, we haven't actually videotaped one of the podcasts since wow, I think second season. So you could actually see it as well as hear it if that's your thing, or you can stop by and hang out and get your question asked right away. Don't wait for us to ask it. So that's going to do it for this week. Thank you as always for sharing the podcast and for your comments and your support. And we appreciate it. And just have a great rest of your week.